How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Covering the NBA's biggest stories from the local angles. In Houston, the sale of the Rockets and the quest for Carmelo. The Knicks rebuilding their front office. And will Carmelo be a part of their team? And the Lakers, Lonzo Ball phenomena and magic. And Rob Palinka running the team. Those are the topics on today's edition of Locked on NBA. I'm David Locke, host of Locked on NBA, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, and founder of the Locked on Podcast Network. Locked on Podcast Network has a podcast for your favorite team every day, both NBA and NFL. So make sure you subscribe to each of those. SeatGeek has long been a sponsor of the Locked On Podcast Network and we're so thankful for them. And I want you to right now go to your phone and download the SeatGeek app. SeatGeek gives you the best place to buy tickets to any upcoming event, whether you're going to be on the road or home, whether it's a concert or a ball game, SeatGeek's going to do it for you. And here's all you need to do. You download the SeatGeek app. You go to the promo code LOCKED. Enter into the settings tab. Go to the promo code LOCKED. Enter it in. And you know what you have? You immediately have a $20 rebate on your first purchase from SeatGeek. That's so great. And SeatGeek compiles all the tickets from all the different areas for you, so you don't have to look at other sites. Then they give every ticket a ticket score, so you know which ones are the best one. And last and finally, boom, you get yourself a $20 rebate with a secured, guaranteed ticket on your phone. It's that easy. It's that perfect. So please make sure that you do that. SeatGeek is the promo is the sponsor of today's program. We certainly appreciate them as well as many of our other sponsors who've stayed with us, Dollar Shave Club, Warby Parker, and of course Casper Mattresses. Thank you to all of them. All right. Locked On Podcast Network covers the biggest stories from the local angles. Today, we're going to visit with Locked On Rockets about the ownership sale and about the quest for Carmelo. Locked On Knicks about the new front office and what happens with Carmelo. And then finally, stop in with Locked On Lakers. Let's get it rolling. All part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Our first stop is Locked on Rockets, who seem to be at the cornerstone or the forefront, probably is a better way to say it, of all news all summer long. Ben DuBose hosts Locked on Rockets on the Locked on Podcast Network. Always the best place to get the biggest stories with the local angles. And and Ben, there are are not just one, but two, maybe even three stories around the Rockets right now, and none of them involve James Harden or Chris Paul, which is just crazy. So let's start with the sale of the team. This was a stunner in NBA circles. You always kind of hear murmurs. You kind of know owners that might be uh, on the edge of stepping out. You've always, you know, particularly those that are connected to Seattle hear a lot of those things because they want to know who might not be happy if they're, Get their expansion, you know, get their new franchise. Where did this come from and why? 
Yeah, it's very surprising because Les has been at the forefront of everything they've done this offseason. Uh, he spoke last week after the uh, press conference with Chris Paul. Of course, the James Harden extension, which was announced about five days before that, he was instrumental in that, putting out quotes that he essentially wanted Harden to retire there. So it's it, it's definitely a surprise, but when you think about it, in some ways, it's not because Les is 73 years old. He's getting to the point where when you get to your mid-70s, if you're not looking to do it until the day you die, it's the time to start thinking about moving on. And I think the conclusion was that there's never a better time than now because with Harden locked up, with Chris Paul in place, with Daryl Worry, the GM, locked up for five years, essentially the expected cash flow for any new buyer would be enormous. So all the things that make it so stunning, because there have been so many positive developments out of Houston this entire offseason, I think pretty much everyone concedes it on paper, at least. They're the second-best team in the NBA. But I think because all of that, Les looked at it and said, hey, if I'm, an, if I'm ever going to sell it in the next five to ten years, they're never going to be a hotter property than they are right now. So why not make the move when they're you know at their most intriguing, so to speak? All right, so let's get the local angle on it. What's the fan reaction? How concerned are people what's how much kind of does this break the foundation of everybody knows is the Rockets. This is the owner that won the championships. It's definitely sad. Um, I, I think a little bit of perspective that the time that's passed, they had Tad Brown, the CEO expressing a commitment to stay in Houston, which should be obvious. Houston's about to be the third largest city in the U S. I don't think there's any real case for a new owner to move a team, nor would the NBA want to let them move out of Houston. I mean, the NBA blocked the Sacramento Kings from potentially leaving Sacramento because they didn't want to leave that market. So they're sure as hell not looking to move out of Houston, especially with a new facility. I think folks are sad because he's the only owner in any of the three major sports that's brought a championship to Houston. But at the same time, it's, it's less dire than if the move had happened before James Harden and before Daryl Morey were signed to longer-term deals. I think everyone kind of understands here in Houston that for the next five or six years, it's James Harden and Daryl Morey's franchise. They are the two principals. And so with both of them locking up five-plus-year extensions this offseason, I think everyone is, you know, once they take a step back to kind of collect themselves from just the shock of the news. I think everyone realizes that over the short term, the next five or so years, the guys that are basically steering the ship are still in place where there's uncertainty of course, is beyond the five or six years, you know, what happens long-term once the James Harden era ends, once Daryl Morey's up for a new contract, what does he want to do? Is he willing to pay the tax? All the kind of things that come with new ownership. And at that point there's some uncertainty, but it's kind of hard to speculate at this point because with, you know, we don't even have finalists at this point. It's so shocking. Even the people in the Rockets organization were fairly surprised by this. And I think until you get finalists, it's tough to even start to think about what's going to happen five or six years from now. All right, let's get on the court. Carmelo Anthony is a rocket or isn't a rocket on opening day. Is I just can't see any scenario where he doesn't get to Houston just because he has that no trade clause. I know it's unfair for the Knicks. I know the team doesn't like it, but well, I shouldn't say it's unfair because they're the ones that gave it to him. So, you know, it's just, they made their own bed. They have to lie in it. And at this point, when you give players that kind of power, you give them the no trade clause, then I just struggle to see a scenario where they actually bring an unhappy mellow 
back to be around their younger players. And the other fact in this, uh, Scott Perry, the new GM, I know Steve Mills still has ultimate authority on basketball decisions in New York. But one of the reports that's been kind of confirmed by a lot of reporters this week is that Scott Perry's got pretty close relationships with a lot of folks in Carmelo's inner circle. Well, because of that, you can tell that, you know, he's a player-friendly GM, and I don't think he wants to have this months-on-end drama of an unhappy Carmelo around their team and the circus that comes with double-crossing Carmelo by apparently telling him he'd be traded to Houston and then not. I just the Rockets are prepared to play the long game. The view from down here, the folks in the Rockets organization is that as long as he's ready by October 15th, meaning around the beginning of the season, that's all that matters to them. It's kind of out of their hands as far as when the Knicks come back to the table. But my guess is that they ultimately do just because on a lot of fronts, everything from team chemistry to um, relationships with players and agents around the league, the Knicks just have too much to lose, in my opinion, to actually get into a months-long stare-down to where they go into the season with an unhappy Carmelo. At some point, I think they blink, and I think Carmelo knows that. That's why he's not going to expand his list. He wants Houston. He's close with Chris Hall and James Harden. And I think Carmelo knows that if he waits them out, it might not be this week. It might not be next week. It's hard to say exactly when the Knicks will blink, but at some point they will. And so that's why, to me, it's more a matter of when than if when it comes to Carmelo and the Rockets. Here's the question I have. I don't know if I think it makes the Rockets better. And let me give you my take on this. First okay. off, I believe strongly in PAC, which is my uh, offensive evaluation <laughs> system of players, yep. points above average created. Carmelo Anthony was a negative .7 PAC player. You can't win it. You can't win with a hot, uh, like major possession user at negative .7. That's that's. Uh, that's bad. Like, I don't have a, I don't mean to be Trumpian with my lack of vocabulary there, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's quite simply, it's bad. Like, and if you look at the best teams, they don't have it. Uh, a year prior, he was negative 0.5. This is not a new trend. Uh, go to the 14, 15 season and you get the same thing. So first off, he's a bucket getter, but he's not an efficient offensive player. And he's, he's a poor offense player. He's been below average in possession mm. usage for the last three years. And I haven't gone back further in my research, but that's all, that's a sufficient data point for me. So one, he's not a very good offense player. Two, he's not a good defensive player. We know that. Three, his value is that he's a high usage bucket getter, but you already have that. So, I know we go back to Carmelo and say, well, when he was on the Olympic team, he was so great. And he mm. was. But I'm not convinced at all that he makes the Rockets a better basketball team. I think it's fair to question how much better. My thing is, he is a good catch-and-shoot player. And if you put him at the four spot and, you, of course, you put him in that number three role in which he's not taking nearly as many inefficient shots as he was in New York, I think there's a way to get that efficiency up a hair. Now, I agree with you. I don't think it's a night and day difference. It's amazing to see a lot of fans in Houston are just hung up on the name to where they just see a big three, three of the most known players on the planet, and they're in love with it. Personally, I don't think the Rockets are. That's why the, the offers are so low. You hear the Knicks saying, well, we can't do this or we shouldn't if we're just getting Ryan Anderson who's a bad contract. No, that's exactly why the Rockets are only willing to offer that. They understand the risk. They're not going to move anyone like Eric Gordon, Trevor Ariza, Clint Capella, because in my opinion, those guys are more valuable than Carmelo Anthony. To me, as I see it, Carmelo, if you just do a one-for-one swap with Ryan Anderson, it's low risk because, worst case, he's not that much of a drop-off in terms of 
uh, his catch-and-shoot numbers, and he does have more upside. I know everyone hates that Olympic mellow thing, but, you know, there is more playmaking potential. There is more athleticism, and so the way the Rockets look at this, I know there's a big name in play here, but I just think they see this as a a more athletic, more upside version of Ryan Anderson. If they can do that one-for-one move, they'll do it. But beyond that, I don't think they're interested. I don't think they're in denial about Carmelo's lack of efficiency, his aging curve, all that kind of stuff. I don't think they're in love with him. I think they just see an opportunity based on uh, Chris Paul being here, the no-trade clause. They just kind of see it as the perfect storm for a guy they can get on the cheap. And if they can get him losing Ryan Anderson and no other rotation pieces, then they'll do it. But that's why, you know, that's why a deal wasn't done last month because the Rockets are not willing to invest heavily in him given his age, given those issues. They're aware of that too. And the other factor, David, that I'll point out about the Rockets is that if they do this deal with Ryan Anderson, a, an under the radar thing to keep in mind is that it also gets them out of Ryan Anderson's contract. Now I know a lot of folks harp on, harp on that deal saying, why would Daryl Morey do that? Well, what ended up happening, the Ryan Anderson deal, four years, $80 million, was struck on July 2nd, 2016. And first off, the Rockets had to get someone to say yes. They were at a point back then. Their narrative was not very strong. They needed to start you know, making their way back. They got Anderson. They got Eric Gordon. They got Nene. And, of course, that was a big part of their, uh, of their turnaround. But those deals, the first two days of July 2016, were so out of proportion. You're seeing them look worse and worse now because of the salary cap contracting a little bit in the days, uh, in the years ahead, excuse me, you're seeing those deals from early July 2016, just look at Tim- Timothy Moskov, look so disproportionately out of whack. And so in my opinion, when the Rockets, when, when they look at their future, and there was a report from Chris Mannix yesterday about if they get Carmelo, if they have Carmelo and Chris Paul, why wouldn't they be a player for LeBron James or anyone else down the line? And while I agree with that, having $20 million of your salary cap in this NBA in this suddenly uh, thrifty environment that we're in these days, you've seen some of the bargains that have gone around to where they're getting guys like Luke Bahamute for somehow the minimum. That, that, that's how ridiculously you know conservative teams are being with the cap this offseason. And so I think the Rockets, they went after Ryan Anderson with a good plan at the time, but like a lot of the league in early July 2016, they did not realize that the salary cap was going to go down uh, or not, they didn't realize it was going to go down, but they didn't realize the spending was going to go down as much as it has to match it. So in my opinion, a second part of what's going on, yeah, they see Carmelo as a potential one-for-one upgrade with Ryan Anderson, a little more uh, upside and playmaking. But beyond that, they say, hey, even if this doesn't work out, we get out from under Ryan Anderson's contract and we have more flexibility out of that spot going forward. In other words, even if Carmelo isn't the guy then you just get more flexibility from that move, period. And so I think that's a secondary motivation as well, if and when the deal gets done, moving Ryan Anderson. It's an interesting discussion. I'm going to go on record. I don't think the Rockets get better with Carmelo Anthony for all this talk. Uh, Ryan Anderson was a plus .7 pack player. Carmelo was a minus .7. That's a, that's a big swing. And uh, I'll be curious to see how it plays out. We'll you know, we'll see. Uh, not to mention the fact that uh, stylistically is another conversation we'll have another day, but our time has run out. Ben DeBose, Locked on Rockets. Get more from him on the daily podcast, Locked on Rockets, all part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Ben, thank you very much. Sure thing. Thank you, David. 
Let's get the other side of the Carmelo end of things with James Marcita, host of Locked on Knicks. We just heard from Locked on Rockets. We now go to Locked on Knicks because the Locked on Podcast Network gives you the biggest stories from the local angle. And, James, you've got new leadership in Scott Perry as the GM. Steve Mills still has the heavy hand. But is there any chance here that they go back to Carmelo and are able to smooth fences, bring him back, and he becomes a part of this group again? Um, no, I don't think so. I think the things that they're saying in public, they're saying because it's the right thing to say in public, it's the right thing to say in public. Uh, at this point, multiple people are reporting that Carmelo definitely wants out no matter what. And the Knicks definitely wants to move on from Carmelo, but the Knicks aren't in no matter what mode for one. That's the report anyway. And they're not willing to take back at this time uh, some onerous contract, such as the Ryan Andersons of the world. That's the one that people keep reporting from Houston. That's the stumbling block to the term people keep using. So I don't think that in private they're going to go to Carmelo and say, look, we want you to stick around. But I do hope, as a Knicks fan myself, that that is an option if they're not able to get back a package that they like. Because it looks like Carmelo does not want to stick around, and at worst, He'd be here for another year, and then he'd opt out of his contract. He's got that early termination option. Um, so the Knicks don't really have a need to boot him no matter what. There are some arguments against that, which I won't get into right now, but that's what I think is going to happen. I think they're going to do everything they can to see if they can find him a new home before the start of the season. Do you believe that Scott Perry has a vision on how to rebuild the Knicks and has the authority execute that vision? Um, so to answer your first question, does he have a vision? Um, I believe so. I don't think you put yourself in that position of wanting to be a general manager of a team if you don't have a direction that you want to go. Um, by all accounts, he's a respected front office executive. He's never been a GM before, but he's had successes, uh, most notably working for Joe Dumars of Detroit when they reached the Eastern Conference Finals, I think it was six times in a row. Uh, famously won that championship without any huge stars. He's had some, uh, you know, moments that were not as great, like in Orlando the past couple of years. Uh, that whole staff was recently let go before he went to Sacramento. But i got to believe that he has a vision. Now, the question is, will he be allowed to execute that vision? Uh, really tough to say. The, you know, the culture at Madison Square Garden since James Dolan has been owner has been one where it's um, confusing. Uh, to say the least, uh, who has the power to do what? Multiple reports say that he's not allowed to fire people, but he may be allowed, he'll be allowed to hire some of his own people. Um, Steve Mills, when asked who has final say, basketball decisions, said, I'm going to give Scott Perry the freedom to make those decisions, but we'll have to debate about it. And then at the end of the day, I'm kind of the guy in charge. <laughs> like, he is, so Steve Mills, president of basketball operations, he is the guy making those final decisions. How much he's going to let Scott Perry do what he wants, uh, no one knows for sure, I think. All right, so Carmelo has a trade, uh, no trade clause. So he's the only, he's in total control here. How does this play out? What, where does he end up? What are the options the Knicks have? What can the Knicks possibly get for Carmelo? Um, when you look around the league at what 
teams have been able to get for uh, other big stars, who a lot of people would argue are more valuable than Carmelo at uh, this point in their career. And I'm talking about Jimmy Butler, Paul George, Boogie Cousins. Uh, you're not looking at a big return. You're hoping for maybe a first-round pick, maybe two first-round picks, maybe a nice young player, but then you kind of have to package that with a bad contract. Uh, the good quote-unquote thing is the Knicks are certainly in a rebuilding mode for at least the next couple of years. So they're not going to attract a marquee free agent. So they have the flexibility to bring in a bad contract if it brings with it a good asset. How it plays out is really tough to say. Um, right now, everyone's talking about Melo going to the Rockets. Uh, the hurdle there, like I mentioned earlier, is Ryan Anderson's contract. He's a, from an offensive standpoint, he's a really good uh, stretch four. He's a great three-point shooter. Plays really bad defense and was exposed in the playoffs to someone who you almost can't have on the floor uh, against certain teams. So people are really hesitant to take on that contract. Uh, if this were the Knicks of old, you know, so to speak, people would assume that eventually the Knicks would cave and they'd take back that contract. A lot of people who are rooting for the Knicks to do well, myself included, are hoping that with Scott Perry on board, the Knicks will hold firm and uh, not do something like that. It's interesting because, for once, the Knicks actually have the leverage here, I think. Uh, they're going to be bad for a couple of years. So if they're bad in this X way or bad in Y way, it doesn't make too much of a difference. But Houston's got kind of a, a short window, as long as Chris Paul is a main piece, right? Because he's still playing an elite level, but he's older. He's not going to play at this elite level forever. So they got a couple of years where they can really you know, make a move or two to put them over the top to win a championship. So if I'm the Knicks, I'm waiting. And if I have to take Carmelo into the trade deadline, maybe someone on Golden State gets hurt, you know, God forbid, um, and then other teams think, this is our year. We need to make a move, and then the Knicks can extract something. There's a bunch of other scenarios where something like that could play out that would allow the Knicks to kind of swoop in and get a good uh, return. But I think Knicks fans do have to temper what they expect because when you look at other uh, marquee stars, it, it, it's not a lot. You're not getting a lot of return, typically. Final, uh, so what I almost hear you saying is that you think the Knicks could be better off just let even Carmelo maybe not playing, sitting on the side, or just then taking on a bad contract for Carmelo. Um, I think so. I mean, I think that we're at a point where we're clearly past Melo's window um, and building a team around him on the Knicks that can compete for a championship. He's not a Knicks lifer. You know, he obviously played the first half of his career so far in Denver. So he's not trying to maintain a legacy like that. I think he really wants to go. I think um, you're not gaining anything by trying to bring him back into the fold. So it could be a tabloid mess if, you know, you bring him back and uh, he sits or he plays only 15 or 20 minutes a game. But I don't see what he's going to do. I mean, he's not going to – if he makes a nuisance of himself, that's going to hurt his reputation. I think he does care about the way people see him. And I think it's best for the Knicks to uh, diminish his role at this point. They want to increase their lottery standings for next year. Not actively. I don't think they want to be seen as a Philadelphia. But they're also not trying to get as many wins, you know, eked out as they can. So the less mellow plays, the greater chance that they have, you know, fewer wins because he's still a useful player even though – got some issues on the defensive end. Um, so I would rather see them, yeah, I'd rather see them hold on to him. And there's no reason for them to take back anything that they don't want if it doesn't come with a nice piece for them to help build for the future. 
James Marcita, Locked on Knicks. Thank you very much for the insight, the local angle on the big stories, and that is a very interesting angle on the Carmelo Anthony situation. Keep up the great work on Locked on Knicks. Appreciate the time very much, James. Thanks for having me, David. It is the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day, giving you the inside scoop on the local, on the big stories from the local angle. Final stop on our Locked On NBA around the Locked On Podcast Network. The local story, the biggest stories from the local angles stops in L.A. with our great show Locked On Lakers. And Anthony Irwin is one of the two hosts of Locked On Lakers. And, Anthony, lots of exciting things going on. But could have the Lonzo Ball Summer League gone any better? No. I mean, technically he, like, strained his calf and didn't play in all the games. But in terms of... Production, hype, meeting the madness, all of the, like he checked all of those boxes and then some. And I mean, I'm biased, obviously, but he was the best player out there. And, you know, it shows with the MVP vote. But I think more than that, it shows with him lifting a team featuring Alex Caruso, uh, Matt, I think it was Matt Johnson, (laughs) you know, Zubats didn't even play well. Ingram didn't play in all but one of the games, and yet the Lakers still look pretty good out there. Last year, I was left uninspired by Luke Walton's system and Luke Walton's coaching, maybe uninspired really by the talent that Luke Walton had to use. How much do you think Lonzo Ball will change what Luke Walton's able to do? I don't know if he necessarily changes the system all that much in the half court. You know, I think Luke still has a little ways to go there. But where Lonzo was really going to help is in transition and in semi-transition. Uh, just getting the ball up and getting teammates to run as fast as they possibly can. Uh, for a young team like the Lakers and a young coach like Luke Walton, all easy buckets are going to be really important to come by and that's where Lonzo is really going to have the biggest impact so like everybody else has has a ton of work to do starting really with the talent across the roster uh but but where Lonzo is going to help is just making the game as easy as possible during that transition I was concerned on Lonzo Ball for two reasons out of college one was there's so much movement in that shot and as the game speeds up would he still be able to get the shooting windows and two, I didn't like against Arizona when guys got into him. I thought he, I don't know if I'd say he wilted, but I thought he kind of relented. And I did think he wilted against De'Aaron Fox when Fox got into him. Did you see anything in summer league that made those two, if those two concerns were legit, go away? So about the shot, I guess I'm I'm – not as concerned about the shot as others are. I, I kind of think like I just started analyzing him as a left-handed player because he basically shoots the ball from the left side of his body. Um, and so with that, you know, because of how far away he can shoot the ball or he likes to try to shoot the ball, uh, I don't think it's as big an issue. He just needs to be a passable shooter. Like he, he can't be Rajon Rondo. He can't be early Ricky Rubio. Uh, Ricky obviously shot the ball better late in last season, but for most of his career, what plagued both those guys was that defenses didn't have to remain honest with them when they had the ball. And even when defenses were backing up against Lonzo, he was forcing the issue. He was closing down that gap or taking advantage of the additional angles that were presented by 
the the gap that defenses were giving him. And then regarding, you know, like the intangible wilting against pressure kind of stuff, uh, I thought he looked really good against the Mavericks when Dennis Smith Jr. was out there. Um, he didn't, I mean, he didn't play against Aaron Fox, which like made everybody question, you know, did he duck the Aaron Fox who then got lit up by Alex Caruso? I guess I, I'm not as concerned about that right now because that's the kind of thing that's going to show itself over the sample size of an entire NBA season. I don't think we're going to get that from a few summer league games. But, you know, in terms of the guys that were put in front of him, he was always he, he was always comfortable on the court from what I saw. Contavious Caldwell Pope falls into the Lakers' lap. How does it change who they are? <laughs> it, it, it's honestly the best thing that could have possibly happened uh, given the constraints that the Lakers kind of put on themselves. They said they weren't going to add any money heading into next year because for whatever reason – uh, Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka think that they have a legitimate shot at LeBron, at Paul George, at, you know, X super insert superstar here. Uh, but given the fact that they didn't want to add any money and given the fact that, you know, most guys, especially his age, uh, KCP's age, want many, you know, a few years on their deal. It was really shocking to see that the Lakers had a chance at him. It just they 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 benefited from the situation that Detroit put KCP in by renouncing his rights so late in the offseason that he didn't have really any options. So I think the Lakers kind of did him and Rich Paul a a solid by giving him the additional $1 million and waiving David Waba to do that. Uh, But he fits really well. He's a pretty good uh, perimeter defender. He's a pretty good shooter. Uh, He's going to want to get out and run. He doesn't need to be need the ball to be successful, so I think he fits with Lonzo Ball and the Lakers next year. All of a sudden, don't have a hilariously bad starting lineup. <laughs> <laughs> what is your initial impression of Magic Johnson, Rob Palinka led Los Angeles Lakers? It's been kind of a roller coaster, to be completely honest. Because so he he gets there the day before, the day of, essentially the NBA trade deadline, and there was all this concern that you know would he trade for Melo? Would he you know would they try to bring in star power as easily as as quickly as they possibly can? But no, he kind of stays the course and trades Lou Williams for additional first rounder that uh, the Lakers turned into Kyle Kuzma, who was the other really good player out there. And, and uh, I mean, you're, you're familiar with him. He's a Utah kid. Um, so that was, you know, that was good to see. And then they make the D'Angelo Russell trade. And it's, I, I mean, personally and, and all throughout Lakers Twitter and Lakers analysis, it was, okay, yeah, this is really who we're dealing with. He does, he is still infatuated. The Lakers still are infatuated with superstars and they're going to do whatever it takes to try to put themselves in a position to get one. The D'Angelo Russell trade is a huge gamble, though. If they don't line up with a Paul George or a LeBron, then you just traded away the best player from last year's roster for cap space that you didn't wind up turning into anything. And then, you know, the KCP signing is great, but like you said, he fell into laps. Like, they had no real choice but to sign the guy when he when the situation presented itself. So I think the jury is still really out the number one thing that they've really been able to do, though, is get people to buy into what they sell. Uh, Rob Palenka is telling biblical stories. Magic Johnson is saying that Lonzo Ball has to leave some records behind. The Lakers fan base is, is eating that up. So I guess from that standpoint, because PR is really important, they've done pretty well there. Anthony, great job with you and Harrison on Locked On Lakers. The local stories from the local – or excuse me, the big stories from the local angles – 
These guys are covering it. It's what makes the Lockdown Podcast Network special. Thanks for your insight on what's going on with the Lakers. Anytime. This has been a Locked On NBA production, stopping with Locked On Rockets, Locked On Knicks, and Locked On Lakers. As I said, the biggest stories from the local angles with the guys who know. That's what makes the Locked On Podcast Network special. The Locked On NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.